Well, many of y'all were here last Sunday to witness an important and impressive St. George's tradition, our annual children's Christmas pageant. It was terrific, and uh, I suspect there are many of us who remember being in children's Christian pageants ourselves when we were younger. I know that I do. I always wanted to play Joseph, I think because that was my father's name, but I never did. My rising star as a child actor stopped over the pageant when I was a wise man, never to move again. That was the end of it. Methodist bishop and writer Will Williman recalls a particular Christmas pageant from his earlier days when he was pastor of a local congregation. On the Sunday of the big event, just prior to the service, the pageant director was seen racing down the church hall to find Williman just as he emerged from his office. And breathlessly, she reported, we have no Joseph, we have no Joseph. Because it turns out that Joseph's mother had just called the church to say that her little boy had come down with a very bad case of nausea and he needed to stay home. We have no Joseph. Williman nonchalantly replied to the pageant director, oh, well, you can get by without him. Just have one of the shepherds stand close to Mary. No one will know the difference. Joseph doesn't have any speaking parts anyway. But it was only later that Williman realized how wrong he was in his response to the pageant director. In fact, you do need Joseph to tell the story. He is critically important to it. Matthew, in his gospel account of the birth of Jesus, knows this. Matthew begins his story of Jesus by focusing on Joseph rather than on Mary. This seems odd, for as we learn, Joseph has nothing to do with how Jesus is conceived. Mary and Joseph are engaged, but not yet married. But Mary gets pregnant before the wedding, and it wasn't Joseph. Matthew wants us to focus on Joseph's response to that news. And sadly, in our day and age, Mary and Joseph's predicament has lost a lot of its force. But in their traditional Mediterranean culture, and especially in the context of their traditional Jewish moral and community life, this conception is a scandal of high magnitude. Perhaps we can imagine, however, that if word gets out in Nazareth about what's happened, there will be expressions of shock and shame and great disappointment directed at Mary from her family, from townsfolk, and from the local synagogue. And I also think of the ridicule that Joseph himself will suffer. I have this anachronistic vision of Joseph slinking into the neighborhood pub as all the men at the bar turn and look over their shoulders at him, snickering as he enters. But Matthew tells us that Joseph was a righteous man, a righteous man. This is, this is very important. Because what we see here is a deeply religious man who is well aware well aware of the remedy 
that Hebrew law prescribes in such situations, but who wants to apply it in the most gentle and loving way, privately, privately to call it off. Unwilling to expose Mary to public disgrace, Joseph planned to dismiss her quietly. Now, I'm sure that Joseph was heartbroken. It is clear that he cared very deeply for Mary. But I imagine him saying to himself something like this. Let's just get this mess behind us with as little scandal, as little fanfare as possible, and let's just move on. Eventually, hopefully, I will find somebody new. I'll get engaged again, and I'll have the normal life that I wanted. So Joseph is resolved to take care of the situation like that. But he has a very strange dream. An angel of the Lord comes to him and says, no, uh-uh. your plan is not God's plan. So here's the plan. You are going to marry this young woman. You hear this? Now you know and I know and God knows and Mary surely knows that you are not the biological father of the child growing in Mary's womb. That is the working of the Holy Spirit in accordance with Scripture. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So, Joseph, let me tell you, you are going to get married as planned. You're going to be this boy's earthly father, and you're going to give him a name, Jesus, and you are going to believe on his name. God is with you in this. And that is exactly what came to pass. It is easy, it is easy to overlook Joseph in the story. We are just 48 hours away from Christmas Eve and the babe lying in a manger with angels singing and shepherds praising. And Joseph standing silently off in the shadows. I have read that in 90% of Christian art of the Holy Family, Joseph is depicted as off to the side, much older than Mary, and in more of a serious kind of protector role than in the role of the joyful husband. So I want us to think afresh. I want us to think afresh about Joseph today. What does he represent for us? Why is he critical to the story? Well, here is why. Here is why. Because Joseph demonstrates the terrible disruption to life that the coming of Jesus into the world really represents for those who would receive him according to God's word. Because you see, it is possible to believe in Jesus of Nazareth, that he existed, that he was born and lived and was crucified, and that in some way, yes, he lives on in a spiritual sense, religiously important if personally vague. But it is also possible, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, to take Jesus of Nazareth into your very personhood, into every room of your life, into your heart, as we sometimes say, and that is a very different thing altogether. That is disruptive because life will change. And I wonder if that is what we fear. Well, sure, we may want certain 
tweaks and improvements and adjustments in our lives. I'm not really sure Jesus is all that interested in our lists, however. But how about life upended, disoriented, redefined, reimagined? Well, now we're getting somewhere. Now, now we are entering the Joseph's story. And we note that the angel of the Lord told Joseph, do not be afraid. What are Joseph's aspirations when we first meet him? What do we think he wants? He wants to marry a good woman. He wants to raise a nice family. And he wants to live a decent life. Nothing wrong with any of that. We should all know that here. But except when Jesus comes, his aspirations are thrown aside and he will live a new kind of life that he would have never asked for or imagined. And it is not a fairy tale either. It is not going to be easy. Maybe I think Joseph should have seen it coming based on his namesake because we remember the original Joseph who also had dreams. The beloved young son of Jacob back in the book of Genesis who on a very ordinary day was kidnapped by his own brothers and sold into slavery and taken to a far country, into Egypt. The last thing he would have ever dreamt of. But God dreamt it and worked all that subsequent sin and struggle and loss and pain out for good. Deliverance. Maybe we too should see it coming. We are today so close to Christmas, living in B.C. times, the time before Christ. And the question we need to be asking of ourselves is, do we anticipate, much less desire, Christmas as potentially disruptive as we are being invited again to allow the coming of Christ into our worlds? What would that even look like? So I remember when our third child, William, was born, six and a half years after the second child was born to our family, and I remember telling my friends, this baby boy is jumping on a moving train. We already have a life, and we're not slowing down for him. That ended up being a really stupid thing to say. Oh my gosh, it was terribly disruptive and beautiful, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Do we think Jesus is going to jump on our moving train, or are we going to jump on his train? Joseph's obedience is not simply a spiritual decision. It is to have enormous practical consequence. There will come other dreams, and soon, a terrifying flight from a murderous king's henchman bent on killing all the baby boys in Bethlehem, the panicked flight into Egypt to live as refugees for some years, mirroring the unwanted journey of the much earlier Joseph. And eventually there is the dangerous journey back to Nazareth, back to Galilee, where one imagines Joseph has to endure the rumors and the talk behind his back, questioning 
the bizarre circumstances of the birth of his son for the rest of his life. Yes, Joseph is critically important to the story, for he is a representative of this truth. God with us means life disrupted for us. And conversely, God without us means life as you please, perhaps even normal-seeming life, but not the life that really is life. In fact, to the question, what is it to be a Christian? One might respond, to be a Christian is to choose to live a different story from the one that you thought you were going to live. To have one's life disrupted so that we live no longer for ourselves, but for him who was born and lived and died for us. His life, born and given for ours, is not one that we would have ever dreamt up on our own. And yet, once again, once again, we are offered this coming week the opportunity to ponder anew the life-changing, grace-filled, heaven-promised blessings of allowing God's dream for our lives to disrupt our own.